Good morning. We'd like to welcome you to Sunday service and all of those uh, watching on the internet. My name is Nayaswami Bharat, and this is Nayaswami Anandi. And I'd like to read from Rays of the One Light, commentaries on the Bhagavad Gita and the Bible, written by Swami Kriyananda, based on the teachings of Master Paramahansa Yogananda. Our week's reading is Ego, Friend, or Foe. Truth is one and eternal. Realize oneness with it in your deathless self within. The following commentary is based on the teachings of Paramahansa Yogananda. Jesus Christ begins his Beatitudes with the words, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. To be poor in spirit in such a way as to merit the kingdom of heaven doesn't mean to be poor-spirited. Rather, it means to see oneself as owning nothing, since all belongs to God. For all is a manifestation of his consciousness. St. John of the Cross wrote, If you would own everything, seek to own nothing. That which the ego relinquishes, offer it up to soul consciousness, is reclaimed forever in cosmic consciousness. Nothing is ever lost. Paramahansa Yogananda tells the story in the autobiography of a yogi of the levitating saint, saint Bhattari Mahashaya. Master said a disciple of this saint once ardently, you are wonderful. You have renounced riches and comforts to seek God and teach us wisdom. It was well known that Bhattari Mahashaya had forsaken great family wealth in his early childhood when single-mindedly he entered the yogic path. You are reversing the case, the saint's face held mild rebuke. I have left a few paltry rupees, a few petty pleasures for a cosmic empire of endless bliss. How then have I denied myself anything? I know the joy of sharing the treasure. Is that a sacrifice? The short-sighted worldly folk are verily the real renunciates. They relinquish an unparalleled divine possession for a poor handful of earthly toys. The Bhagavad Gita in the third chapter states, All things are everywhere by nature wrought in interaction of the qualities. The fool cheated by self thinks, This I did and that I wrought. But ah, thou strong-minded prince, a better lesson mine, knowing the play of visible things within the world of sense and how the qualities must qualify, standeth aloof even from his acts. Thus, through Holy Scripture, God has spoken to mankind. to start our service this morning because last night Adam and Molly had their baby boy Henry Krishna Trowbridge and this soul has just completed quite a journey to become part of the Ananda family so we're going to begin by welcoming him with three ohms so let's just picture Henry Krishna and his mother and father, and we rub our hands together, drawing energy into the hands. 
And as we chant Om, see them surrounded and blessed by the masters. name, Henry Krishna Trowbridge. I think it sounds presidential, don't you? <laughs> I think he'll, he'll become our first yogi president. <laughs> so I'd like to begin by reading from Whispers from Eternity. It's a book of prayers and poems by Paramahansa Yogananda. And this particular reading, I believe we have actually heard relatively recently, but I just could not resist reading it, <laughs> and it goes very well with our talk. It's called A Prayer, Received After a Great Test of God. In disease or in health, in success or in failure, in poverty or in prosperity, in joy or in sorrow, in disaster or in safety, in life or in death, I stand immutably, unalterably, unshakably loyal, devoted, and firmly loving thee, my heavenly Father, forever, forever, and forever. Well, this morning's reading posed the question, ego, friend, or foe? Um, we probably all have a few opinions on that subject. But the ego is our friend only when we come to the point of realizing that it's meant to be offered up to God, that we're meant to let go of the little confining qualities of the ego and discover who we really are. Yogananda defined the ego as the soul identified with the body. Now, the soul is gigantic. The soul is eternal, immutable, and when it's identified with the body, it's put into a small little box which confines it. And so the purpose is simply that we have to grow beyond that. We have to release that little ego and discover who we really are in truth. If you take your thumb and you hold it up really, really close to your eye, all you can see is your thumb. And that's sort of the way it is with the ego. Someone said, the universe, except for one, except the, the universe with one trifling exception is made up of others. <laughs> and so that ego, which seems so very big to us, is really quite trifling in the scheme of things. A woman from Ananda, an Ananda member, went to see um, a spiritual healer. And this woman was dealing with some internal obstacles. She couldn't get past them. And she was asking this healer to help her. And this healer said to her, I see Yogananda's vibration surrounding you. I see him standing right in front of you saying, look 
at me. Isn't that a beautiful image, not just for this woman, but for all of us? We get our ego has problems. All we can see is the ego and the guru, God, are standing right in front of us saying, I'm right here. I'm right here. You have to remember to look at me. So that is our journey. There's a very interesting story, sort of image, that I read about a man who was rowing his uh, small boat across the river. And as he's rowing his boat, he sees another boat coming toward him. There's no one in that boat. And the boat is, looks like it's about to hit him, but even though this man has a very bad temper, he doesn't get upset. He just rows as hard as he can to get out of the way of that boat. But then as he moves onward, another boat is coming toward him. Now this boat has someone in it. And so the man begins to yell, stop, get out of my way, I'm coming through. And then the person does not seem to hear him, so then he starts to become yelling uh, uh, swear words at him, becoming very, very angry and, and uh, really yelling at this man. And so, yet he was not at all angry when the boat was empty. And so the moral of this story is, if you're having troubles in your life and people are getting mad at you, empty your boat. In other words... It's the little self sitting in that boat that is causing the the problems. So we need to empty that boat. And when I think about an empty boat, I have to say that Swami Kriyananda was the emptiest boat that I've ever met (laughs) in this lifetime. He just went through life so calm, just seeing that everything was coming was coming from God. And very at peace with everything and everything that that people gave to him. In the early days of Ananda, there was a woman here who was actually very inspirational on a certain level. She was, I, I believe she's a great soul, and yet she had a very challenging way of being able to just smash her ego. When she was trying to be nice, somehow she was sort of an ego pulverizing person. And so most of us just kind of tried to stay away from her. But Swami appreciated all of her fine qualities and didn't mind working with her at all. And somebody said something to him about that, and he said, well, she has a difficult personality, so when I'm around her, I just don't have a personality. Okay. (laughs) Bharat and I uh, visited Swami in India in, in 2006, and the day before he had just done a television show. And he said that there were some people in the television audience, and this sounds like it goes counter to the story about the boat, but actually if you get your boat empty, there are also some people who don't really like that and and will try to um, destroy you as well. So this was happening to him the day before the television interview. He said there were some people in the audience who really were trying to um, make me look bad, uh, uh, put me in a very bad light, it could have been quite a difficult situation. But I don't exist, so it wasn't a problem. Just just be free inside. Just let it go. We spend so much time defending. Isn't it strange? We defend our little ego, the thing that we're trying to get rid of. We're also defending it. So 
we want to, to let that go. Um, there was a man, and Swami used to talk in the early days about a wonderful monk that he knew. I don't know how wonderful the monk was himself, but his name was wonderful, and we all loved it. His name was Shunyabai. And the, and the name meant Brother Zero. And we just, Swami would talk about why we need to bring ourselves to the point of being zero. We diminish the littleness inside of us so that we can experience the power of the soul hiding underneath it. And there are times in life where life brings us to what you would call ground zero. It happens in everyone's life. Maybe it comes through illness. Maybe it comes through death of a loved one, divorce, things that really pull the foundation out from the props that the ego usually has. This is the kind of person I am. This is what I do for a living. This is all that defines me. Suddenly, it's gone. And those are, when they're happening to us, they seem like a big mistake <laughs> that, that our, our life course is being interrupted by this thing that shouldn't be happening. But the truth is, actually, that is probably the reason we incarnated. So those are the times to be very, very aware that God has something special for us. And how do we align with that? In Ananda's history, there are a couple of notable uh, ground zero experiences. And in, in uh, 1976, the community burned to the ground. And so in one afternoon, uh, 21 of our 23 homes and 400 of our 600 acres became ashes. That was a fairly dramatic experience. And that was in the days before anybody ever thought of insurance. So or savings in the bank. And so it, there was nothing really on the table by way of how we were going to rebuild. So it was very much of a, a fresh start. It was as if God took an eraser and said, well, that was your first try at community. Let's just erase that one. That one didn't, wasn't your best. What have you learned from that one? Let's start over. And that's what happened. So that turned out to be the most important blessing, one of the most important blessings we've had, and the beginning of Ananda as we know it now. Then in the 1990s, another spiritual group sued us, tried to destroy us, sued us for 12 years, costing millions of dollars, which we didn't actually have at the time, though it came in the process as we needed it, miraculously. And once again, 100, 100 people left the community because once again, looked like we were being taken to ground zero. The community had to declare chapter 11, which many companies never come out of. We ended up coming out of it. We ended up paying off all of our creditors. And the entire sort of outreach development of Ananda happened in a very, very dramatic way from that leveling experience. So in our lives, these leveling experiences do come around, and there are things that we need to really pay attention to and try to see their purpose. Because God doesn't send those things because we've been bad and he wants to punish us, but rather he wants to soften us. He wants to open us. He wants to make us more 
dependent on him. There's a poem by um, Francis Thompson called The Hound of Heaven. And one of the parts of the poem, uh, the hound of heaven is God. And God says to the person who's trying to run away from him, he said, all these things I did take, not for thy harms, but just that thou mightest seek them in my arms. All that thy child's mistake fancies as lost, I have stored for thee at home. Rise, clasp my hand, and come. So we want to try to rise in these experiences. Now, if we want to get a primer on being free from the ego, I think the most condensed and useful thing we can read is the chapter in Autobiography of a Yogi called Years in My Master's Hermitage, where Yogananda describes his life with Sri Yukteswar. That chapter, I'm only going to talk about a little bit of it, but it's so full of many different angles on freedom from ego. One of the, one of the sweet ones, I'll just say, is at one point, um, Yogananda just writes about a scene he saw between Sri Yukteswar, his guru, and Sri Yukteswar's mother. Now, Sri Yukteswar, here on the altar, uh, was what's called a Gyan avatar, an avatar of wisdom, very formidable, very formidable yoga master. And uh, he, he was not afraid of anyone. He just spoke his mind no matter what. He was very um, unbendable in his uh, relationship to truth and how people should behave. But Yogananda said he saw a conversation between Sri Yukteswar and his mother. And Sri Yukteswar, wise as he was, was trying to convince his mother of something. And she just said, nay, nay, my son, your wise words are not for me. I am not your disciple. You can go away now. <laughs> and, and here was this towering saint that Yogananda called the Lion of Bengal. And he said it was so dear to see how respectful he was, how humble he was before his mother. He just, without another word, he just quietly backed away. Her word was law, and he honored it. So to be great does not mean to be blustering and full of yourself, but beneath whatever you have to do is this emptiness like the, like the reading Bharat said, that we have to become poor, we have to give up all those self-definitions, and then we find the power within us. So in this relationship between Yogananda and Sri Yukteswar, it's interesting because they were both avatars, which means that they were both free of ego, free of karma. And yet Yogananda plays the role of every disciple in this, in this book, in his autobiography. I was thinking that he could have written an autobiography that described all of his visions, all of his ecstasies, all of the divine guidance throughout his life, and that would be all it needed to say. And that would be a wonderful book. But what he did instead was he played out the various delusions that we all fall into and so it makes the book so um, such a dear friend to every seeker. So in this part of the book, he says that Sri Yukteswar used to just 
demolish him. He said, I was used to discipline. He said, my father was strict. My older brother was severe. But Sri Yukteswar was drastic. <laughs> and just, he said, he would just, uh, he said, I was grateful beyond measure for every blow that he, with which he dislodged a tooth in my metaphorical jaw. That just he was, he was that the, the, the crust of ego can't be dislodged except forcefully. The true teacher would just pummel him, I don't mean physically, but with, with words, correcting him. It didn't matter if they were alone. It didn't matter if they were in front of 100 people. He said if he saw a trifling um, uh, inconsistency in my behavior, or in other words, if he slipped out of being 100% present, aware, energetic, willing, he heard about it <laughs> very forcefully. And he said he was very grateful for it, but he said he was also a little bit afraid of it in the beginning, as you can imagine. <laughs> and he said, then I released my underlying resentment to this criticism. And when the resentment was gone, I noticed that I wasn't getting criticized as much. And then he said, finally, I demolished the wall of rationalization and subconscious reservation behind which the personality shields itself. By personality, I think you could substitute the word ego. So this fascinating rationalization and subconscious reservation. So whatever happens in your life, I'm... I'm not going to share my rationalizations, but I'm sure you could list your own. You know, oh, well, I wasn't, you know, my upbringing and my parents weren't that loving and I just, I can't do that and my body type doesn't allow me to do that. And all these different things, why we can't be what's being asked of us. And we're defending our right to be small. We're defending our right to be weak and, and little. And we need to release that. So what Yogananda said is eventually he demolished every wall of rationalization, every subconscious resistance, he, reservation, where he didn't even know he had it, but dragging his feet to change. And when he did that, what happened was an effortless harmony with his guru. So each of us has our journey. We've uh, each on a how much we've decided that we even want to get rid of our egos is up to us. Um, in the, uh, uh, the Mahabharata, as we know, one of the main characters, and he's one of the most inspiring characters, is Bhishma. Bhishma represents the ego, and he is the grandfather of all of the qualities, the good qualities and the bad qualities. And he is the general in the battle between light and darkness. In the end, though he's, though he's the grandfather to all the qualities, he fights on the side of the qualities that limit us. So Bhishma, is a, he's, a, he's a warrior that no one can destroy. And finally, at a certain point, he's, he's struck by so many arrows. He has so many arrows coming out of his back that he's actually lying on a bed of arrows. He's just lying there. And he's giving teachings. He's giving. He's sharing with his um, all of his uh, grandchildren all the wisdom that he knows. 
and he can't, he just can't be killed because it's up to him. It's only, we can only offer the ego. We can't, it can never be taken away from us. So if you're listening to this and thinking, oh God, I don't want to get rid of my ego. I like being me. Don't worry. <laughs> There's no chance of it happening. It's only when we want to release it. And so we have that option and, and we have to work ourselves into that mode. And we can't just actually think our way into it. It's nice to say, yes, I, oh yes, I want to demolish those walls of subconscious rationalization and all those reservations and whatnot, but it's not going to work that way. We can't give up something until we have something better to substitute for it. And so what we have to do is plumb the depths of our soul. We have to experience what is inside of us that is much more appealing than littleness, than ego, than the sense of I and mine. And that we do through meditation is one of the ways. One of the ways. We, we meditate so that we can become still, so that we can quiet our thoughts, quiet our opinions, and discover what's inside of there. Um, but interestingly, Swami something that's very well worth thinking about. He said, if you want to meditate for greater realization, you're going to fall into the pit of delusion. In other words, if you say, I want to meditate so I can be greater, so I can be more, right away we're walking ourselves up to the edge of thinking about ourselves. So he said, what we have to do is when we meditate, put aside the thought of self. Feel like you're not the meditator. God's joy is seeking itself through you. God's love, God's calmness is seeking itself through you. You're not the doer. And we learn in Hong Sa, you're just the observer. It's happening. You want to observe with your full attention. You want, it to, give, you, you want to give it your most intense uh, relaxed, energetic um, participation, but to feel that it is being done through you. God is doing it through you so that we don't, so that we learn to experience more of that presence inside of ourselves. So meditation is a key to it, but it has to be linked to devotion, to love God more and more so that that love is what fuels our desire to become still. That love is what fuels our desire to know God. The, the love and the experience of silence, they work together hand in hand. And with the two of them, if we practice with all of our heart, with all of the inner freedom we have to bring to it in this moment, we grow in inner freedom. We bring more of that and more and more we walk to process of self-discovery, self-realization. And that is the surrender of the small self. Yogananda said, the path to the heart is too narrow for both the ego and God to walk it together. We have to be willing to step aside and let God have the path to our hearts. Mm-hmm.